listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen today, you are challenged to think about faith. In this podcast, Douglas is continuing his series on Old Testament characters, now looking into the life of Aaron. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Old Testament podcast number 15 on Aaron. Bring you greetings from Kiev, principal city and capital city in the Ukraine. Aaron is mentioned more than 350 times in the Bible, nearly all those in the Old Testament. And we see from the scriptural evidence that he's three years older than Moses. They also have a sister who's even older. Well, I come from a family of three children. Sadly, my brother and I lost our sister when she was just 20. But Steve and I um, are brothers. We have a great relationship. We're both Christians. I'm two years older. You may have a brother and a sister. You may have several. What are those sibling relationships like? It's quite interesting in the family of Moses because things are inverted. Miriam is the oldest and the one who's least prominent, followed by Aaron. And Moses, though the youngest, is the most natural leader. Aaron is more of a follower. All of the podcasts that I'm recording have lots of notes. Please don't forget to look at them at the same place where you streamed or you downloaded the podcast. That's where all the notes are and the suggestions for further study. Today's lesson, though, though it includes some extra things as normal, what we learn about God, how to use these things to help our own children and so forth, uh, focuses on chapter 32 of Exodus. The setting is Moses has gone up Mount Sinai to get the law. I think they expected him back in a day or two, but weeks and weeks have gone by and he's been given up for dead. So let's read Exodus 32 verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so all the people took their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Let's pause there. Aaron is no idolater. That's very clear. Um, in fact, he's not, he's not really implicated in the idolatry that follows later in the chapter. But he does end up facilitating sin. He tells them to take off the earrings. Incidentally, uh, this is, uh, I think, traditionally a reason that Jewish men don't wear jewelry. They don't wear earrings and things. Obviously, they did up to this time. But they, people bring the metal to Aaron, or Aaron, if you use the, want to use his Hebrew name. So Aaron gets the, the earrings. And verse 4, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol in the shape of a bull. Not calf. Now, I'm reading from the NIV. The NIV and almost all English versions get this wrong, and they say calf. They're not worshiping a young cow or, you know, or you know, baby bull. They're, they're worshiping a bull. This was a sacred animal in different religions in Egypt as well as in Canaan, associated strongly with fertility. And as I mentioned in the Moses podcast, people really want a visible God. Although God uh, tells them to avoid images, they want to see They want to be able to put God um, in in a box, to localize him, to see him, just as they prefer having a king to the confederation of the leaders that we see in the book of Judges. And this is not ideal, but that's the way people are. They want to see their God. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. A couple more comments here. It's just amazing that they would think that animals brought them up out of Egypt. I mean, animals accompanied them from Egypt. Some of the animals were agents of the, of the various plagues. Some were actually hurt by the plagues. But to take a, a, a beast, a brute beast, and to, to attribute divinity to it is just unthinkable in light of their most recent experience of, of deliverance. Another thing, when Aaron says tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord, I'm wondering if he's trying to buy time. Um, you know, he's still waiting for his brother to come down. And his brother comes really in just the right time. But let's see what the people do. Continuing in verse 6. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a bull. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Well... At this festival, on that following day, the people ate and drank, and then they got up to, uh, to indulge in revelry, to indulge in sexual sin, particularly. And um, this is exactly the same uh, verb used uh, about Isaac uh, uh, sexually embracing and caressing his wife, Rebecca, which we saw in the book of Genesis. This is the playing. This incident, of course, is referred to in 1 Corinthians 10. But this is a pagan pattern common to the feasts, even in Corinth, as we read about in 1 Corinthians 6 and 8 and 9 and 10, that uh, people would have a sacred meal in honor of their God. They would eat quite a bit, they'd drink quite a bit, and then would come the revelry, the prostitution, and the orgies. And I'm sorry, but this is what we're talking about here. No wonder the Lord is furious. As we know, Moses uh, rejects God's plan to uh, annihilate most of these people and, and build a new dynasty, a new nation through him. But this podcast, uh, podcast is not on Moses. We're talking about Aaron. Well, Moses, as we know, verse 15, turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Uh, verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is a sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf or the cow or bull and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made or bull or cow and they burned it in the fire. And then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Well, so much for their idol. The fact that it's ground to powder, shown to be totally worthless, scattered on the water, and then they have to drink it. Uh, that, that shatters the illusion that, the, that this bull is actually their god. Why does Moses break the tablets? I think because the covenant is broken. The, the Israelites have broken the covenant. He's going to have to get those tablets replaced later. But now we come to our character, Aaron. Moses turns in verse 21 to his brother, and we read, He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, 
Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this uh, fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire. Out came this bull. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well said. Uh, Amazing. Well, I I won't comment anymore right there. But continuing, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. I mean, these are supposed to be the people of God, holy, monotheistic, uh, worshiping the true God. And they're carrying on with a, a, a lifestyle lacking in righteousness and holiness, a lifestyle of idolatry. That showed that deep down they were really no different to the pagans out of whose midst they were delivered or the pagans into whose land they were intending to come. There's some very important lessons here. Of course, a strong leader is open to outside input and influence, as we saw Moses was with his father-in-law in Exodus 18. But a strong leader is not controlled by others' opinions. I hope that if you're listening to this and you're a leader... You're someone who asks for feedback. And if you can get the feedback before you make the mistake, (laughs) that's called input. And that's even better. Well, they're both great. So I think as leaders, we can't be controlled by others, but we do need to receive input and be sensitive. And Moses was more that way. He combined humility with strength of character. But a strong leader mustn't be controlled by others. We have to be men and women of conviction. Well, I wonder what Aaron was thinking as those 40 days elapsed, as he was on his own. He was the deputy. He was the one in charge. Normally, he was the spokesman. God had made him the speaker back in Exodus 4, a concession to Moses' excuses. And just as God would speak through a prophet, so Moses spoke through Aaron. That's in Exodus 7. So uh, people would have certainly looked to him for guidance. He was the older, he the more mature, and he was a priest. But he fails. Aaron was much more a follower than his brother was. Let us continue. Verse 26. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, and this is Moses, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 people died. And then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. And I'll just say incidentally, if you want more thoughts on this, um, in the Q&As at my main website, I recently posted... Um, one on this very topic. It was somewhere in the 1240s. Uh, Q&A number 1,247 or 8 or something like that. Well, take, take a look at it. All right. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. And the Lord replied to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of. My angel will go before you. However, 
When the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. This is just a stunning chapter. Uh, They've been delivered from slavery through the Red Sea. Uh, They've celebrated the Passover. They've sung the Song of Moses. Uh, They've they've had some incredible victories and God has sustained them in the wilderness. And then finally, uh, when Moses goes up to the mountain to get the very law of God, uh, because it's taking longer than they thought, I guess they decided, well, that's enough time. We've got to do what we've got to do. A little bit like Samuel in, in 1 Samuel 13. I'm not Samuel, Saul, who went ahead without Samuel in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, 1 Samuel uh, 13. I, um, I, I think that the, the reason this chapter is, is so intense, it's not just the, the, the idolatry and the, all the people being hacked by the swords. It's that we have the section of, of law, God's righteous law is given, starting in chapter 20. And given and implemented all the way up to chapter 40. And right here in the midst, we have this flagrant rebellion against God. And then it says in verse 35, The Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf or bull that Aaron had made. We see here that Levi and his family were zealous. Maybe it was a family trait. Zealous to the point of violence, as we saw back in Genesis 34. They're zealous for national honor and religion. No doubt Aaron inherited a full portion of the spirit too, as did Phinehas, his descendant, later on. So when Moses says, basically, who will uphold the standards of the Lord? The Levites are the ones who come. And as a result of this, the Levites are given the priesthood. Notice that Aaron was not a victim of the sword. Similarly, in Numbers 12, when he takes part in the challenge, he and his sister uh, challenge Moses' authority. Although he, he's involved in that, he seems to do so more as a follower than as a leader. It was Miriam, after all, who received leprosy as a punishment, not Aaron. We'll look at her more in the next podcast. As we will see in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20, Moses prayed for Aaron and so saved his life. Well, this is not a very flattering portrait of Aaron, the older brother who speaks well, not the, uh, not the natural leader, but he was a natural speaker. In Moses' case, it was the other way around. But Aaron becomes Moses' assistant. He was a ready spokesman. He's called Moses' mouth, Exodus 4.16, his prophet, Exodus 7.1, along with her, in chapter 17, he held up Moses' hands in order that the rod of God might be lifted up during the fight with Amalek. Amalek. And so he supports his brother. He's not a bad person. He's a good person. But he wasn't suited to be the leader of the Israelites himself. Some, some men are good people and they're good leaders. But uh, the, the level at which they ought to lead or the number of people they could influence is, uh, is not unlimited. Moses was able to lead an entire nation. Not so with Aaron. He wasn't placed well in that role. He was also an elder. An elder. He never, and that's a respected position, but he never appears as the strong, heroic character which his brother was. And here at Sinai, as we've seen, he reveals his weaker nature. Aaron was also a high priest. High priest. And the descendants of Aaron were high priests. They wore quite simple clothes, the, the priests, but the high priest wore a very elaborate outfit, as you've read about in Exodus. 
And yet he rebels against Moses. After the departure of Israel from Sinai, he joins his sister Miriam in a protest against Moses' authority. Chapter 12. He gets a taste of his own medicine, though, in number 16, when um, a number of, of leaders from um, the other tribes, well, particularly Reuben, but even Levi themselves come and challenge Aaron and Moses. Let's talk about the end of his life. You see, after this event, Aaron does not come prominently into view until the time of his death, near the close of the wilderness period. And because of the impatience, or maybe it's unbelief, of Moses and Aaron at Meribah, and that's the event in chapter 20 where uh, Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. Because of this, the brothers are prohibited from entering Canaan. They're prohibited. Moses dies, uh, as we saw, on Mount Nebo. Aaron dies on Mount Hor. And so he too ends uh, his life without crossing west, that is, across the Jordan, into the Promised Land. Now, he had married Elisheva, who was the daughter of Amenadab, sister of Nashon, prince of the tribe of Judah, and he had four sons. And yet two of them, Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, who are mentioned in Leviticus 10, die because they change the recipe, possibly under the influence of alcohol, judging by the following passages. But in the beginning of Leviticus 10, we see that they, they break the Lord's commandment and they pay for it with their life. Their brothers, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's third and fourth sons, carry on. And particularly Eleazar, as the oldest surviving son, um, uh, he embodies the succession and uh, carries on the priesthood and the ceremonial law. Well, as we saw, Aaron dies, Numbers chapter 20, verse 28, atop Mount Hor. Both of the brothers are prevented from going into the promised land. Well, this man was outshone by his younger brother. Literally, if you think of uh, Exodus 34, you know, when Moses' face becomes glowing. And, uh, but he, he was outshone by his younger brother. He's also a man who seems to have been extremely cautious, who stalled for time. Not a bad man, not, not, a, not an evil person, but not suited to lead at a very high level. His older children were presumptuous. And imagine the heartache he went through losing two of his sons in one day. Um, this is uh, just amazing. Recently, we've known a number of families whose sons have uh, died uh, or taken their lives, suffered terrible injuries, or discovered that they're mortally ill. When a child dies, oh, I remember when my sister died. I mean, it was hard. It was very hard for me and my brother, but for my parents, so hard. And, and Aaron loses not one child, but two. In fact, the older two children. They were presumptuous. It makes us tempted to compare him with Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. That's in the beginning of 1 Samuel. But I think their situation was much more drastic, much more dysfunctional. We also see in Aaron a man who became mildly jealous of his brother. But even then, it was without full conviction. It was, after all, Miriam who was the one punished. Well, uh, we have the, the key verses, the ideas for uh, uh, children and, and devotionals. But as always, as traditional, I'd like to end with the things that we learn about God. Because the purpose of these podcasts is not just to get information about 
uh, 52 major figures in the Old Testament. No, the purpose is to to deepen our relationship with God. And, and here are a few things I see. First, sometimes a leader can be weak and ineffective and yet remain in his position for many years. God doesn't force us to change. He doesn't force leaders to change. Nor does he necessarily quickly remove an unspiritual leader. Second, our character and sins affect our children. Two of Aaron's sons took great liberties in their approach to the priesthood. Was this perhaps a result of Aaron's tendency to back away from challenge? Was he not directive enough with them? We can't can't really say. But the other two were more spiritually solid. And third and finally, although influential, Aaron was more of an assistant. He was more of a spokesman who helped his brother Moses than he was the leader of Israel. In accomplishing his will, sometimes the Lord has us rely on others who have complementary gifts. Seldom does he push us to be a one-man show. In our next podcast, we'll be looking at Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. And I'll be bringing that podcast to you when I'm in Moldova, another one of the former Soviet socialist republics, and en route to Hungary. God bless, and I really hope you're getting a lot out of these podcasts. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Aaron. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.